Praise the Lord. We're going to start a new series today. Yay. And it's actually not a book of the Bible. I can believe that. It is actually based, it's going to be based on the 2 Peter 1.3. Now, we went through 2 Peter a while ago, but I'm going to focus on one verse. And the verse is this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We're going to look at that verse for the, the series, but we're going to look at the second part of that verse today. And then the first part is what we're going to look at in later weeks. Now, I'm going to give you a hint about the first part, a little hint. The first part says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life. That's a pretty, pretty big statement, right? That everything we need for this entire life, God has provided for us. So we're going to look at what those things are. Things that are common for all of us. We will look at singleness, marriages, Children, finances, health, sex, work, church. That's what's coming up in the weeks to come. But today we're going to look at the second part of that verse that says his divine powers has given us everything we need for godliness through our knowledge of him. Now, if I were to ask you what godliness is, what would you think? How you live, right? I mean, now, a lot of people confuse godliness with Outward things. If you came from a, quote, holiness background, I know Phil and Marina came from a holiness background. Holiness background was where you didn't interact. You didn't, no makeup, didn't cut your hair, you couldn't swim in the same pool as people of the opposite sex. Every, it was based on how you acted, how you behaved, and things that you denied yourself. That's not really godliness. Godliness is more of a heart issue because holiness became a legal, legalistic issue. Now, biblical godliness is, is this. When you become a Christian, the Bible says you become a new creation, right? You are, you're, you're now your heavenly father's child. You now have the genetic nature of your heavenly father. When babies are born, they have the genetic makeup of their parents. And as they get older, you will notice features in them that reflect their parents. You look at them and say, oh, I know you look like so-and-so. You look like your mom. You look like your dad. Physical makeup will become part of who they are. But they also pick up character traits of their parents as well. How many of you have your children doing things that you do, good and bad? And how many of you as adults do things that your parents did, that you swore you would never do. I remember one time I was, I was correcting my kids when they were little, and out of my mouth came my dad. I said exactly the same thing he would say to us you know, on numerous occasions. And as I, as I was saying the words, I was like, mm, I, I'm my dad. They will pick up phrases that you use, inflection, whether you have empathy for folks or not, your attitudes, all the learned behaviors that you grow up with is how you become like your parents. And like it or not, that's what's gonna happen. You are like your parents and your kids will be like you. 
But now we are God's kids and we have genetics from our Heavenly Father, which means we have divine power now to be godly. To, and it simply means we acquire the attributes of God. We, be, we acquire the characteristics, the idiosyncrasies, all the things, and since we don't, we don't see God, we now acquire the characteristics of Jesus. We not only begin to physically, not so much physically look like him, but now we begin to pick up his character traits. We begin to act like our father. How did he act? When God says we have divine power to be holy or godly, it simply means we acquire the attributes of Jesus. How? Through our knowledge of him, through our study of the word. When we spend time in God's word, we pick up character traits just like children pick up character traits of their parents as they watch them. James Dobson says, more is caught than taught. In other words, your kids will be what you do, not what you say. And the more that you read God's word, which means you now have to actually put it into action. Reading it's one thing, but now you have to actually do what it says. And as you do what it says, you now pick up God's traits, you pick up God's characteristics. How many, now, how many of you have kids that you see already picking up your character traits? Character traits that you kind of wish they wouldn't pick up, but they pick up anyways. How many of you, when you go and your kid's in a crowd, can your relatives pick out your kid in a crowd? Generally pretty good. They, look, they know what they look like, right? Or a stranger looking at children in a crowd, and if you tell them to pick out your child, do you think they could do it based on their physical appearance? People should be able to pick us out of a crowd because of how we act. Now, when we have the kids up here, I think they're going to be up here next week for the Invite Your One. When you see the kids up here, you'll know who their parents are by sometimes how they act. And what do they do? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Or they will, they will do things that you see their parents do. When people look at us, they should, they should see things that Jesus would do. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to reflect our Heavenly Father, so that when people see us and they see how we act, hopefully they can get a, a glimpse of what Jesus may look like and how he would act. The verse is, everything we need for godliness. Now, there's gonna be a day when we will be like Jesus, right? We will be 100% like Jesus. First John 3, 2 says, yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we'll be like when Christ returns, but we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. But that day is not here yet. <laughs> That's gonna happen in an instant. But while we're here, we want to continue to grow in our characteristics of Jesus. How do people see us? How do we act? How do we react? And Peter's telling them, right now, you have the ability 
to reflect Jesus. You have the ability in you to become like Jesus. You don't have to wait for the rapture to happen. God has given you that ability now. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Galatians 2.20 says, I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So if we're called to reflect Christ daily and to present our, ourselves as godly to people around us, what does that mean? Does that mean we start hammering people with what we believe? Or do we create a relationship with them and allow us to be able to speak into their lives in a relationship basis? It means we're, we're to reflect how Jesus would handle any given situations. Now, when something is thrown instantly your, your way, do we react like Jesus reacts or do we react like Jeff Bender reacts? Do we give others a good example of Jesus? If people didn't know you, would they think that you were a Christian just by interacting with you? Would they think something different about you? Would they think that you must be, a, quote, a religious person, you must go to church somewhere? Do they get that feel from when they talk to you, when they read things you put online, when you interact with people? Do they get that feeling or do they get the feeling that you're just like everybody else? It's easy for the flesh to come out and want to react in a different way. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in us to make us react and act like Jesus would act. Why? So that other people will see them. So how do we know what Jesus would do in any given situation? Well, it says here, his divine power has given us everything we need for godliness. What? Through our knowledge of him. The Holy Spirit works through our knowledge of what God's word actually says. Now, you have to know what God's word says about a situation in order to react to that. Now, I'm not going to go into this because I think I hammer home pretty much that we, know, we should know God's word. I think there's no doubt in everyone's mind that I, I'm pretty big on that. But we're going to look at the last part of that verse. It says, through our knowledge of him, what? Who called us by his own glory and goodness. Think about that. That was one of the, the things that really hit me when I first became a Christian. How many realize when God saved you, God didn't get any kind of a prize? You're, you're no bargain for God. You didn't win on that, or you won on that deal. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. When I first heard that, I was blown away. I had to pray, I had to pray the prayer. But when I realized it, it wasn't because of me. God picked me anyways. God looked at my life, and in spite of my life, God says, I'm still picking you. And then later on, as I began to realize it, not only did God know what I did in the past, God knew what I was gonna do in the future. And he still picked me. Think about that. The only reason that we're here today is because God picked you. He saw 
you as valuable. He saw you as someone who he wants in his family. Why would he do that? Why would he call imperfect people that are sometimes a burden to him? Why would he do that? That's why the Christian thing is so awesome. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die while we were yet sinners. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. These are all verses we all know. God saved you by his special favor when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. So if God picked you simply because he is good and we're not, what does that mean? It means you can't earn it. It means you can't try to pay God back. If you can't do anything about what God's done, except, except, except it, why does he tell us to be holy? If we're already in, God picked us, he knew we were sinners, and he knew what we'd be like in the future, and he still picked us, why do we have to be holy? Why can't we do what we want? Why can't we live and write and say anything we want to say? If God already picked us, he chose me, he knew what I was going to do. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. And this is the verse. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Our job, now that we're Christians, in spite of our failures and flaws and and sins, God's job for us is to show others the goodness of God. When God looks at, when we look at people and people look at us and they realize how sinful we were or may not have been, and yet we're Christians and God forgave us, we're showing people the goodness of God. And the only way we can do that is first by how we act. How do we act? People get their clue from you, not by what you say, but by how you act. And that goes back to just like our kids. More is caught than taught. People will listen to what you say only if it's backed up by what you do. What's the number one thing that complaint that that non-Christians have about Christians? Hypocrites, right? You know what, we are. We are, because we're not perfect, we don't live perfect Christian lives. But the difference is we notice that and we try to rectify that whenever possible. Why, because we want our life to reflect the goodness of God. How did God change me? Why did God change me? And we want people to see that. Now if we go back to the whole verse, it says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Notice how those two are tied together, life and godliness. I think of it this way. You can't have the life God wants for you unless you are godly. And the only way to be godly is through how you live your life. 
almost a catch-22. It's not about a set of rules and regulations that we have to obey. It's a matter of our heart. We do it not because we have to do it. We do it because we want to do it. Verse 4 in 2 Peter 1 says, And by that same mighty power, what the Holy Spirit, he has given us all his rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires and that you will share in his divine nature. First thing it tells us in that verse is that God's promises will begin to have a purifying effect on you. Once you experience, first you experience salvation, which is a tremendous, you, you change your life. And then after that, you begin to experience other things that the Bible says you're going to experience, which just more validates what God's word says. How many, when you were first Christians, pretty much everything you prayed for, God did, like right away. And as you got older, eh, not so much. Think about babies. Every time a baby cries, man, you're there. Change, feed, sleep. As soon as that baby starts crying, you're there. Your 12-year-old starts crying for something. Not so much. Go make your own sandwich, buddy. There's mac and cheese in the cupboard. Go ahead and make that yourself. As we get older, God wants us to trust him and grow in our faith and knowledge of him. And how do we do that except by doing? If we have God do everything for us, we learn nothing. God wants us to exercise and do what we know to do. 1 John 3, 2 says this, we do know that when he comes, we will be like him. We read this verse before. For we will see him as he really is, but this verse, and all who believe this keep themselves pure just as Christ is pure. Once you begin to experience the reality of God's word and things happen to you that you can't explain except for God, what does that do? That hopefully should excite us into trusting the rest of God's word. And if that goes on and what you do now, you begin to think, man, and this is true. I'm gonna be holy when Jesus comes back. I wanna keep myself pure because when that, when that rapture happens, <laughs> I wanna be ready. I don't wanna let my life slip and do stupid things. And when the rapture happens, I'm kinda of too far away for it to be anything for me. You know that Christ is coming back. You know that it's gonna happen. It may happen today. Knowing that, because other parts of God's word have proven themselves true to you. Now, the Bible says, you believe this, you're gonna keep yourself pure. You're gonna keep yourself holy with God. And if we experience God's promises, now we have more of a desire to honor him. What's a good example for this? I tried to think of an example the other day. All right, suppose you're, now I don't like to cook. You know, microwave is my, my friend. But suppose you like to cook, you want to cook. And you want to learn to cook. And you watch all these ridiculous shows on TV and you want to be like those guys on TV. The very first time you make something, it blows up in your face, it doesn't become any good. The second time you do it, it's a little bit better. And then the third time you do it, it actually begins to taste okay. And you get to the point where every time you do it, it's a little bit better. Doesn't that motivate you to keep doing it, to get better? And the, and the Bible says, once you experience 
this promise over here fulfilled, and then God does something over here for you fulfilled, and then a prayer is answered over here for you fulfilled, man, now you get excited. This stuff works, and I'm gonna keep doing it so it gets better. It's a belief, a matter of the heart that keeps you pure. Jesus said, you know, what comes out of your mouth is what makes you pure, not what goes in. Because what comes out of your mouth is what comes out of your heart. You know, as we get older, most of us want to honor our parents, whether they're still here or not. I would think that the older you get, the more that's there. If you're in your teens and the 20s, that honor thing might not be there so much. They may not like you. They may hate everything about you as a teenager. And you may have been the same way with your parents. Now don't lie, because I know all of you were. I've talked to some of your parents. I know. But when you get to be 40 or 50 or so, and you have kids, and you realize all the grief your parents put up with for you, because you see what the grief you're going through, don't you have a kind of a, a profound respect for them all of a sudden? Or as it grows, like, oh man, I'm lucky I'm alive. You realize that you're glad you're still here. There's a quote that says this, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. <laughs> as you get older and you realize all that your parents have done for you, you want to honor them. And as they get older and, and health-wise, you will take care of them. As Christians, the more we get older, the more we want to honor our Father, honor the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that verse tells us is you can escape the corruption. And the word, the phrase literally means since you have already escaped. We're now out of the sin nature. We always fight that battle, but we're, we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin. And the Bible said since you've already escaped that, you already now share in God's divine nature. And this goes back to the beginning. You now have the genetics of your father. And if you follow those genetics and you follow your father's example, what'll happen? You'll be spared the corruption that's around you. And that simply means the more you do what God says, the less trouble you're gonna get into. As parents, and if, especially when your kids are tweens or teens, you want them to not experience the grief that you went through, right? You want your kids to be spared struggles that you had or mistakes that you made. And the older they get, the more they realize that it's true. But as Christians, God says, if you share my nature, you become like me, you're gonna be spared the mistakes that you're gonna make if you weren't following me. You know, all the things that the world thinks that Christians, you know, don't like. And we're, we're people think that we're known for what we don't believe in rather than what we do. But, and I tell the teens this, there are reasons that God says no premarital sex. There are reasons for that. There are consequences that God wants you to avoid. He knows they're going to happen. 
I remember when, when AIDS was the big issue back in the 80s. And we had a bunch of guys come on TV, preachers saying, God's judgment, God's judgment. Not God's judgment. God just knew that was gonna happen. God says, you wanna be spared all this stuff that's going around, all these diseases and sicknesses? If you don't do it, you won't get it. He knows the consequences of those and he's trying to spare you from having the consequences. And Jesus says in this verse, or Peter says, if you live like Christ and do what he says, you'll be spared all the, the stuff that's going around. You won't have to suffer the, the grief and the, and the sin and the consequences of those sins. We want our kids to make smart choices in their life. And God's saying, if you live godly, you'll make wise choices in your life. And if you reflect Jesus and you avoid those sins around you, what happens? Now, people see you as a Christian. People see Jesus. Not the one who's thumping their Bible on someone's head, but someone who's living right and loving people as they come in. I, I told this to the teens, and I think I mentioned this last week, and I was talking to someone this week about it. People at my age, our age, we have to approach the gospel in a little bit different manner with people who are younger than us, 20s and 30s. Gone are the days where you can just say, the Bible says, that's it. When people have legitimate questions they ask, they want a real response. They want you to explain to them why it's this way. And, I, and the example I told the teens today was when people came up and they would ask Jesus questions. Some of them were just to argue with him, but some of them wanted to know. Nicodemus came up to Jesus at night with legitimate questions. And he, Jesus answered those questions in biblical form. He was able to relate to Nicodemus and tell him what the truth was. He honored the question. He didn't say, that's stupid, Nicodemus. What are you asking me that for? He honored the question and he answered the question. Rich young ruler came up, same question. Jesus answered him. And the rich young ruler didn't like the, didn't like the answer. I mean, know who Ravi Zacharias is. I've, I've been listening to a lot of his stuff lately. And all his stuff is basically questions from the audience. And I've noticed something about him. Every question that is asked, he is respectful to the question. He says, thank you for asking me that question. Thank you for allowing me to answer that question. And he goes into explaining to them through what the Bible says and through experience how the biblical model works in that area. He doesn't say, that's ridiculous, I'm not gonna answer that question. The Bible says this and that's it. He goes in and he explains to them and most of the people that are asking him these questions are 20s and 30s because they really want, not that they wanna debate you, they wanna know. They wanna know what the Bible says about it in a way that they can understand. We have that ability to do that. The more we become like Christ, the more we understand his word, the more we will be able to explain to them hopefully what the answer to whatever the question is. I told you that a couple of weeks ago I read an article about a pastor of a large church and he says, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a series on anything you want. Whatever questions you have, I'll preach on it. You fill out a form, let me know what you wanna preach. And so everybody fills out a form and he's thinking, oh, it's gonna be abortion, it's gonna be homosexuality. You know what the number one thing was? 
Does the Bible leave room for aliens? Does the Bible leave room for aliens? Can aliens exist in God's kingdom? See, that was our response. That's ridiculous. But they want to know. And they want to know logically how that can be. And if we just dismiss them, like the first thing I read was, that's ridiculous. If we dismiss them, then we dismiss the opportunity of sharing the gospel with them. But if we understand their question, acknowledge their question, and say, let's, let's dig together. Let's see what God says about that. Thanks for the question. Let, let's see what God's word says. And if you don't know, you know what? I don't know, but I'll go find out for you. When I was in, in college, we did accounting, and they, they wanted us to know the formulas and the, and the theory behind accounting. But they also wanted us to know that if we didn't know the theory, we would know where to go to get it. So it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know, but I will find out for you. Rather than trying to fake your way through and doing it wrong, they want you to acknowledge that you don't know, but then go back and find out how to do it. And that's how it is with, with Christianity as well. If you don't know the answer, and none of us know every answer, but we can go find out. And the person now respects us for taking time to find out what their, the answer is to their question. So let me freeze, see if I can rephrase our verse in one sentence. Since you are saved and now have the genes and attributes of your heavenly Father, you are already equipped to live godly or reflect Jesus and be like your heavenly Father. You have his attributes in how you live. How we live and how we present ourselves is the biggest attraction to people for Christianity. People don't go to church because they pass a sign. They don't go to church because it's advertised. In fact, advertising is the, the least effective method for Christian witness. It's like, like less than 1% of people actually go to church because of an advertisement. But I, in fact, I read this the other day. Like 89% of people who are asked to go to church with someone, a friend, will go. The only way people will want to go with you to a church service is if they see something in you that's different than everybody else. If you're not different than everybody else, then why are they gonna give up a Sunday morning to go to a, a meeting when I can get that from the guy at Starbucks? Our life has to be the first thing that they see. And then once they see how we live and how we react, that's gonna spark interest in them. And that gives us the open door to talk to them about Christ. There's a, there's a saying that we used to use back home and it's probably not unique to us. It was, before you talk to your neighbors about God, talk to, your God, talk to God about your neighbors. So that when you go to them, you already have a good attitude, you have a relationship with them, and hopefully they see something in your life that's a little bit different. And then it opens up a conversation. In fact, some people will even ask you, why are you different? Why, why do you do this or why don't you do that? 
gives you a perfect opportunity to talk about Christ. Now next week, we're going to talk about how the same thing, how God has given us everything we need for life. You know, there's a lot of things that we face in life that we try to handle on our own. And how many of you know that when that, you know, doesn't work so well sometimes? I saw a, a big sign in an automotive repair center, and it said, hourly fee, you know, $30 an hour. If you watch, $40 an hour. If you help, $50 an hour. They didn't need our help. Sometimes God doesn't need our help. He just needs us to do what he says in his word. If we do that, things will probably work out pretty good. Again, they're not promises. They are good principles. Because train up a child in the way he should go. Principle, not a promise, right? A promise is something that God does not violate. He does on his own. A principle is, if you do this, chances are pretty good this is going to happen. That's what we're going to study. So we're going to talk about different aspects of, of life that we all encounter. And I'm excited for what God has. I hope God gives me something between now and then. So would you stand as we close this morning in prayer? Okay, God, you want me to say this, you've got to give me what to say. How many are glad you, that you know God? You have the relationship. Your life perfect? No. Yeah. But you know, even in spite of imperfection and, and struggles, God's still good. And we can go to him when everything else fails, every, the bottom falls out, God is still the same. Father, thank you. We thank you for being our dad. We thank you for imparting to us the divine nature, the attributes that you want us to have so that we're able to rightly reflect whose child we are. Lord, I pray that you would fill each one of us continually with your spirit because it's through your Holy Spirit that gives us that ability, that gives us the ability to reflect Jesus. I pray that you give each one of us an opportunity, a divine appointment, so that we're able to maybe just, at first, live the life in front of someone, and then give us the opportunity at some point to talk to them about why we live the way we do. Father, we know people are hurting. We know people need you. They just don't know that they need you. And I pray that you would allow us to be in a position to tell them of the great things you've done for us. Lord, we do ask your favor and your blessing upon next Sunday. We pray that you would fill this place with people who need Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit prepares their hearts and their minds even before they walk in the door that they wake up and they feel the urge to come, that they won't forget or miss or blow off the invitation, that they will feel something pushing them to come. And I pray your Holy Spirit does his work in their lives. Allow us to be in prayer this week about that, to be constantly bombarding heaven 
with prayer that, God, you do your work. You do the work. We're, we're faithful to plant the seed. We're faithful to water. But, God, you've got to give the increase. So, Father, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow each one of us to experience things in your word that encourages us to, be, to remain pure and to live more holy and more godly so that people see us. Not so we can earn brownie points, Lord, but so that people can see Jesus in us. Bless us as we leave today. Allow us to have a tremendous week and let us experience you not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a tremendous week. Next Sunday, pray, invite, fill this place up.